0: Sherry Mandel is with us live via telephone. It is always an honor to welcome her to JM in the AM. She is author of a brand new book, Reaching for Comfort. What I Saw, What I Learned, and How I Blew It, Training as a Pastoral Counselor. In 2009, Sherry Mandel won the National Jewish Book Award for the Blessing of a Broken Heart, which told of her grief and initial mourning after her 13-year-old son Kobe was brutally murdered. Years later, with her pain still undiminished, Sherry trained to help others as a pastoral counselor, um, one of the first in Israel's hospitals. Her latest book offers 22 vignettes describing her interaction with terminal patients and their families in two Jerusalem hospitals, with a stirring mix of curiosity, candor, compassion, and humor that throws fresh and unexpected light on one of the most ubiquitous literary genres, the terminal ward. By the way, folks, I read it. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, before we introduce Sherry, I remind everybody that Kobe's yard site was yesterday. Many of us who remember that era remember that it was Logba-Omer-related, uh, right around logba and sure enough, the uh, yard site was yesterday. And to Sherry writes, on May 8th of 2001, 20 years ago, my 13 year old son Kobe cut school and went hiking with his friend Yosef Ishran in a canyon near our home in Israel. Terrorists trapped the two eighth grade boys in a cave and beat them to death with rocks. The murderers smeared the boys' blood on the walls of the cave. This was, for those of you who don't remember, one of the terror attacks in Israel that in so many ways affected and uh, really uh, agonized the collective Jewish heart around the world. And I'm sure that's something that Sherry can confirm because she remembers the reaction from the world uh, to the brutal death of her son. Sherry Mandel, author of Reaching for Comfort, an honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM.
1: Thank you. It's great to speak to you again.
0: I appreciate that. Um, so much has changed over the last 20 years. The first time you were in my studio, which was about the first book and recounting the tale, of um, uh, the murder of of Kobe, uh, at that point I've never I had never observed the yard side, and now each year I observe three for my parents and brother. And yesterday was the yard side of your son Kobe, and and for me yard side is always a very unusual day. Do you feel the same way?
1: You know, I always look for signs, and I kind of gave up looking for signs. And then <laughs> yesterday I went swimming. I went to the pool. And this is a crazy story. <laughs> I came out, and I couldn't find my clothes. And I was going from the, from the pool to the cemetery. And it turned out that somebody had moved my clothes. Uh, you know, it's Israeli. It's like chutzpah. They, they thought <laughs> that they, they wanted more room. That's what somebody told me. She heard that the cleaner told her somebody wanted more room, so they moved my clothes. And I was really like, pissed off because I'm like what kind of chutzpah and then I realized it was like a Kobe moment because he loved to like be mischievous and it was like really like flipped the whole moment you know that whole moment so I feel like that's today I was thinking that was my Kobe moment as
0: as strange as it sounds I know exactly what you're talking about Lots of weird things seems to ha- seem to happen on, on days of a yard site. What, what was it like going to the cemetery after that?
1: Um, well, you know, I went with my kids and my grandchildren, so it's always horrible, but I, I think I have um, anticipatory grief toward the york site because once Yom Hazikaron starts, right. which is like a week and a half before the york site, I kind of fall apart emotionally. And so when it, when it finally became the day of the York site, it's almost like a relief. So also my, my children spoke, and they spoke what, about what it was like for them, and my daughter-in-law also spoke. So it was really beautiful that they are kind of taking ownership of this tragedy, and I didn't really have to speak except to thank
0: people. Is it hard to think where he would be up to in life at this point? Is that is that something you try to avoid or you think about it all the time?
1: No, I I you know, I always thought he would be a lawyer or a judge because, you know, he was the oldest and he always argued for everybody. And sometimes I would say to him, you know, Kobe, when you're older and you're a judge or a lawyer, you can you can make that claim to the judge, but here it's not gonna fly. So <laughs> Um, you know, I, I try not to think about it. Really,
0: you know, um, close to twenty years ago. I mean, the book came out obviously a couple of years after he was murdered. Uh, your first book. Uh, there, there are things I still remember that from that conversation. I did not go back to the archives to, to listen to it. Uh, there are things I actually remember from that conversation that really made a profound impact on me, and I'm sure the audience. And one of the things was moving on, how minutes or hours. After this tragedy, there are things that happen. In that case, you were telling us about, you know, other children being hungry on the way to the, to, to the to the cemetery to actually bury him. Uh, you know, you get thrown into the, you know, the the regular routine of life. There is a necessity. And obviously, I'm 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 citing a drastic example, uh, but days, weeks, months, years later, you know, there's always this important concept of, of trying to move on, and uh, and that made a profound impact on me just realizing how one how one has to rebound from a tragedy, even though it's always with you, even though the pain never seems uh, to go away. Maybe it's a little more dull, but it doesn't seem to go away. I have to assume that that attitude and your whole philosophy uh, is very helpful when trying to counsel people who are going through the situations that you describe in your book, people who are relatives of, or they themselves, are terminally ill patients.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I think you don't move on. I think that's kind of a misnomer for for tragedy, that you move with. Like, you you do continue, but you bring that person with you. Um, I think, as a pastoral counselor, or even somebody who visits the sick, that it's what what I learned was just to be quiet and to be present and also not to be afraid of silence, which we're all really afraid of. Mm -hmm. And to just let that space open up and also to let what's going to happen in the room, you know, occur so that it's not scripted. You know, that's kind of why I didn't really write this in the book, but I I would pray before I went into the room to let what, what, to let what's right to happen or what needs to happen happen.
0: You know, I remember you telling us uh, and I and I've used this this uh both as someone who has, you know, during Shiva and paying Shiva calls that the most important thing is that you're there. The most important thing is that people realize you've made the effort and you were there, you know, in their time of need. The conversation is not nearly as important.
1: Yeah, no, because words become very cheap during right. the Shiva. You know, like, it's just, like, sometimes I go to a shiva and it pains me because people are just talking about ordinary things. Or, you know, it's okay to talk about the person who died or to bring Torah. But I I think it's like, you know, it's a holy week. So it's really important to to respect the holiness of, of death and of life, mostly of life.
0: Sherry Mandel's with us. Book is called Reaching for Comfort. I'm highly recommending it. Um, would you be in this line of work or line of volunteerism if not for the tragedy? Did you did you have trouble convincing yourself, somebody who has been through what you've been through, that maybe it would not be the best thing for you to be hanging out in a terminal hospital environment?
1: Um, well, my mother tried to talk me out of it, <laughs> but well, not, not everybody was terminal, but... You know, my second hospital I worked with, they were in vegetative state. Right. So it was mostly with the families. And and that was a really, really difficult experience. But I I think, you know, going to the hospital and learning pastoral counseling, I think I needed to be with people whose lives were disrupted because I felt Mm -hmm. I was always looking for some wisdom on suffering that they could offer me. You know, I felt like there was some truth there that I needed to observe.
0: Interesting. I, um, when, when you put yourself in this type of situation, you meet people of all backgrounds, people of all faiths, those of us who, uh, who, who think that, you know, in Israel you walk into a hospital and only meet Jews or Israelis, that would not be accurate and you meet people in, you know, in, in many different types of situations, uh, the first thing I have to ask you is, knowing who's responsible, or the background of who's responsible for your son's murder, and now you're in a position where you've made a commitment to offer comfort and counseling to people of all faiths, does that sometimes become difficult when you realize that some of those people are from the same background as the killers?
1: Yeah, that was an issue for me. And in fact, my teachers told me that, you know, I didn't have to work with um, Palestinian, with Arab patients. And at first I didn't. But then I started working with them. And actually, in the hospital, in um, the second hospital, I worked in the children's ward where the children were in vegetative states. And I worked with an Arab woman a young Arab woman, the mother. And we didn't have a common language because she didn't speak Hebrew, and um, I didn't speak Arabic, and she didn't speak English. And we just bonded somehow, and we would just hug and cry. And for me, it was a really important healing because I felt like, you know, I I blame the killers, but I don't blame an entire population of Arabs.
0: Understood. Sherry Mandel's with us. The book is Reaching for Comfort. Um, isn't it amazing? And, and again, uh, <laughs> for a lot of people, they would think they could do this naturally or they think they have common sense and therefore they could walk into a hospital room and, 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 and act properly um, when it comes to trying to offer comfort to people in these situations. But I would bet that when you went for professional training, the course of study probably was amazing you know many things that you were taught that you never considered or s- strategies that you you know had had never even thought about. Uh, m- my point being that you know th- there's nothing like formal training and even in this where where people think that that good common sense and good you know desire to be there for somebody else is enough, uh, the actual course of study is very rewarding.
1: Well it was mostly learning about ourselves. Because we all have like programmed responses, or things that somebody says to us that will hurt us, and that they lie sort of below consciousness. And the the course was really about making ourselves aware of our inner dialogue, so that we could kind of empty ourselves in a way to be there for the other person. Because a lot of people when they visit, they want to give advice, they want to cheer you up, and that's not always what's what's the most important thing you know lots of times it's just listening to somebody else's pain most of us want to hear somebody else's pain but when you give people that platform it when you when you accept them when you accept their pain then sometimes they can heal or they can heal emotionally because they they feel recognized
0: more than once in the book you start a vignette uh, by by saying you were hesitant to walk into a room or you started to walk into a room and you just got the feeling that because something like a test or a procedure was going on, you know, maybe you should leave. And then the relatives or the person themselves tell you, no, no, please come in. Why do you think they're inviting you in? Why, why do you think a total stranger is important for them to walk in at that point?
1: Um, I think because people, they feel things. You know, it's like we were... Like not, it's like visual clues more than what somebody says, and I I think maybe they felt that I was somebody they could trust. Also, because in my Hebrew is which is not great, I couldn't talk that much. So like I could be there; it was much easier for me to listen, you know. And I I had I was like a different person in Hebrew then. So I felt maybe they just needed that different point of view or somebody to contain. What was going on in that room? Because every room has a drama, you know. Sometimes yep. it's just to witness that drama yep. and to be to be able to receive it in a way.
0: Um, sometimes you'll walk into a room, and I thought I, I think this strategy is just brilliant, and and it's something I have to remember, frankly. And I think anybody who takes visiting the sick seriously should remember. Uh, it, it sounds like you purposely tried to guide conversation when there was conversation, not to tell me, meaning you in this case, not to tell me about the person lying in that bed. Tell me about the person before they were lying in that bed. You know what I mean? Tell me about their life, your your memories, what you remember most about them, holiday time, other time. And, and it seems like that could be so comforting to those who are sitting there 24 hours a day with their relative.
1: Yeah, because you're making the person live again, and also when you you know like when I would walk into that room, I would just see somebody who was frail most of the time and weak. And when you give the family a chance, or even the person a chance to talk about who they are, you know they're they're still a bad person, even if their body has changed right. inside there, and they still have a strong nishama and they still have strong memories. So, it, it's by its vitality. It's, it's vital is that a word vitalizing
0: Yeah, i, th- I, I or, or or revitalizing maybe I, I i think you have a I th- I think you have a, you have a you have a story in there with it, where a patient actually identified with the disease right like they were the disease you, 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 I don't know oh you-
1: yeah yeah he didn't want to talk to me because he had, he had a disease and he he couldn't eat what he wanted to eat and he he basically said to me i i am crohn's disease right you know I have Crohn's disease. But it also depends when you meet the person. It's like, I'm sure if I had met him further along in his process, he might have had a different viewpoint.
0: You'd think you'd be in this line of work if uh, if not for your experience 20 years ago?
1: Uh, well, you know, when I was young, I volunteered in the hospital and, as a candy striper. So I hmm. think I always had a feeling for other people's pain. But I don't think I would have been in the hospital without going through what I went through with Kobe. first of all, and without my son's murder. First of all, I wouldn't have had the courage to do it in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, and after Kobe's murder, I just did a lot of things because I thought, you know, I can do this. I've, I've done... I've, I went through something so hard. This, this just can't be so hard. And also, I felt like I had something to give because... I had an understanding of what it was like to suffer.
0: Did you feel like I said earlier that the collective Jewish heart around the world was in pain after the uh, news of Kobe's uh, murder?
1: Yes, I felt that very strongly because people were in touch with us, and people wanted to help us with the foundation, and they—they, I—I felt that people just were torn apart by Kobe's murder all over the world.
0: Yeah, no question about it. What What's the status of the Kobe Mendel Foundation, especially now with the the pandemic? Has that curtailed activities?
1: Yes, of course. It's, yeah, I mean we've had so many segurs in Israel. Thank God now we're opening up, right. and please God we'll have a camp this summer. But we continue. And last summer we had camp in a car that went around to kids. <laughs> and
0: we have a lot of
1: we have lots of groups on Zoom. And we're still continuing, so anybody who wants to contribute can go online at kobymandel.org and contribute. That would be great.
0: We also mentioned, of course, that um, he was with Yosef Ishran when he was murdered. They were both murdered by terrorists. Not suggesting that it's a requirement, I'm just curious if, you, if your families are in touch.
1: Oh, yeah, we go—I mean, I just—Rena came to the York side, and we we went to theirs, and we we spend time together. Yeah, we're very close. Even though we're totally like different, we have such different backgrounds. But there's, of course, we're so connected from this murder. It's, but it's like we're in-laws somehow, you know, like married in death.
0: Yeah, kind of morbid. <sighs> that's, um, that's an understatement. Um, and 20 years later, you're even even I would say in the generations after mine, you're still known as Kobe's mom, right?
1: Well, actually, 20 years is a long time. So I I think people are starting to forget or they were born, you know, they weren't born or they were just too young. So a lot of people now don't know the story of Kobe, even in Toccoa, where I live, because we were a very small community and now we're a large community. And most of the newcomers are in their 30s, so they don't necessarily know Kobe's story. So actually, we're doing a memorial event where we're going to go for a hike in the Wadi um, a week from Friday. Wow! Because I just think it's a, it's important for Ticoa people to know what happened here and to know the history.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Uh, certain areas of Israel, if not all areas of Israel, were built on Jewish blood, and uh, and it's an important reminder actually for everybody, not just Ticoa residents, but everybody about the sacrifice that so many families have made in order for there to be a Jewish presence uh, both in your area and so many other areas of Israel um, and, and I wonder if that is at all comforting you write in the book about um, you have something in one of the stories and I apologize I <laughs> read this a few days ago but you have something about uh, you know the, the question of wasted life I, I believe the young man was in a car accident or some type of accident and you know that hovers over you I mean Knowing that your son was killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem, does that at all um, make it more meaningful and less wasteful?
1: Well, I think it makes it more meaningful, for sure. And also, the the thing that that woman said to me, her son died for nothing. Right. And to me, that is such a painful statement. He died for nothing. Right. And I feel like everything that Seth and I, that my husband and I did was to make sure that Kobe's death wasn't for nothing. Right. So, yes, it's super for Shachem, but it, it also, I, you know, when I speak, I always say, Kobe, you know, he came to Israel, and he loved being Jewish, and he loved Israel. And when people ask what, you, what they can do, I always say, you know, put Judaism and Israel in the center of your life. Right. And then, you know, then Kobe didn't die for nothing. He, he died for something. And he died believing in, in Israel. And proud of living here.
0: And and loving it. Look what he was doing on the last day of his life. He was loving the land.
1: Yeah. the You know, we did a song. It's on YouTube um, for Kobe. And, Yom Adikaron, and it's filmed in the Wadi, in the canyon. And that canyon is one of the most beautiful places in Israel. And when we go down, I mean, we don't go down that much because it's too painful. Yeah. But when we go, do go down to that cave, it's very ironic or paradoxical, because there's such beauty there, and then you know there's such pain in that cave
0: I can only imagine, and he'd rather be <laughs> he'd he'd rather be hiking the land than be in school, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Of, his, of his love for Eretz Israel even in the uh at that age. Sherry Mendel yeah. by, by, by the way, I have to, I mean, it's a short book, you know, I, I, and I say that only because sometimes that encourages people even more to pick it up. Uh, but the, the yeah. stories are remarkable. I mean, you have so many incredible experiences. And again, through your eyes and through your experience, it, it just becomes so much more meaningful. And I, uh, you know, the power of listening, you're you, you so good at transmitting to us through this book what the power of listening is all about. So many of us don't listen. And it's just so vital, especially in those situations, to listen and to let people express themselves and to drift from sadness to joy in a five-minute conversation. You've seen that. You write about it, how people are all depressed and, you know, focused in the now. And then they, you know, go back and talk a little bit about, you know, the person and who they were and what Purim was like with them and what, you know, holidays were like with them. And, And all of a sudden, five minutes later, it's a completely different attitude. Must be an amazing feeling having right. having that ability to do that and understanding how important the uh, the ability to listen is all about. So uh, all I could say is like I said earlier, Sherry, I'm highly recommending the book. It's a it's somewhat of a life changer, like your first book was, and um, and I hope everyone gets it. Uh, it's called Reaching for Comfort. Everybody, Reaching for Comfort. What I saw what I learned, and how I blew it. And I, by the way, I'm not so sure I'd agree with everything in the blew it category.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, you know, that's
0: what my sister said, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. you, there are some you know funny twists and turns that, that might suggest you know that, that you could have said or done things a little differently, but I don't know if I'd totally agree with that. But anyway, it's certainly, it's certainly an eye-catching line, how I blew it uh, training as a pastoral counselor. Sherry, where do people get the book?
1: On Amazon or a Book Depository here in Israel.
0: Simple as and that. I
1: just have to say, yeah. Actually, one other thing, because sure. Becky Aaron Price, she did an Audible version of The Blessing of a Broken Heart. So, if anybody likes listening to books, there's now a new version of The Blessing of a Broken Heart on there. Audible.
0: All right, Audible, uh, Blessing of a Broken Heart. That's the original book that we've been talking about from Sherry Mandel. This one is called Reaching for Comfort. Reaching for Comfort. It's on Amazon. All your usual online uh, uh, major book locations, and again, we are highly recommending it. You will find it fascinating, one story after another. Uh, Kobe Mandel Foundation, to search it online, everybody give generously, keep them going. They will have a camp this summer, and 20 years later, they're doing amazing work, and that's a big, big tribute to Sherry and Rabbi Seth Mandel uh, for the way that they have memorialized Kobe in that unique and incredible fashion reaching thousands over the years uh sherry i i can't thank you enough for joining us mazal tov on the book uh and thank you thank Thank you you thank you for all the lessons we've learned from it already
1: okay it's great to talk to you have a good day
0: you as well appreciate that very much sherry mandel uh kobe's yard site was yesterday she joined us today the brand new book is reaching for comfort kobe's gone 20 years but she has uh developed an incredible strength and an amazing way to reach out both through the book and through so many other methods to the Jewish world with important lessons and I, I again I'm highly recommending this book get it get it it's a uh, it, it's an easy read but so meaningful and so deep and boy a lot of important lessons for those of us who like uh, performing the mitzvah visiting the sick this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio round the world, of web at MalcolmSiegel.com and the MalcolmSiegel Network, and of course, any beloved NSN app. Oh.